Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your wonderful host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo, the better half, that brings you the episode, the podcast to Sober Chicks. See what happens when I get all feisty and scrappy? Uh, welcome to April. Uh, well, it's actually, here's a secret. It's technically still April 19th, and I'm recording this about a two minutes after the recording that I just uploaded. And uh, I don't want to stop, so I'm going to keep going, but I've broken this up into two episodes. I don't know why you needed to know that. Let's keep going. So we left off on page 120 in the 12 and 12 discussing step 12. And I stopped it at this point because it went from speaking about relationships and recovery to money. So many of us, um, even though the promises say we will not fear economic insecurity, we do. And it's very real right now in our COVID times because many of us cannot bring in an income. And it's really fucking scary. So emotional insecurity uh, plagues all of us at some point in our lives and for some of us for our entire lives. So I think this is very good wisdom. It may or may not be easy to practice, but we'll see. Where the possession of money and material things was concerned, our outlook underwent the same revolutionary change. With a few exceptions, all of us had been spendthrifts. We threw money about in every direction with the purpose of pleasing ourselves and impressing other people. In our drinking time, we acted as if the money supply was inexhaustible, though between binges, we'd sometimes go to the other extreme and become almost miserly. Without realizing it, we were just accumulating funds for the next spree. Money was the symbol of pleasure and self-importance. When our drinking had become much worse, money was only an urgent requirement which could supply us with the next drink and the temporary comfort of oblivion it brought. Upon entering AA, these attitudes were sharply reversed, often going much too far in the opposite direction. The spectacle of years of waste threw us into panic. There simply wouldn't be time, we thought, to rebuild our shattered fortunes. How could we ever take care of those awful debts, possess a decent home, educate the kids, and set something by for old age? Financial importance was no longer our principal aim. We now clamored for material security. Even when we were well reestablished in our business, these terrible fears often continued to haunt us. This made us misers and penny pinchers all over again. Complete financial security we must have, or else. We forgot that most alcoholics in AA have an earning power considerably above average. We forgot the immense goodwill of our brother or sister AAs who were only too eager to help us to better jobs when we deserved them. We forgot the actual or potential financial insecurity of every human being in the world. And worst of all, we forgot God. In money matters, we had faith only in ourselves and not too much of that. This all meant, of course, that we were still far off balance when a job still looked like a mere means of getting money rather than an opportunity for service, when the acquisition of money for financial independence looked more important than a right dependence upon God, we were still the victims of unreasonable fears. And these were fears which would make a serene and useful existence at any financial level quite impossible. 
But as time passed, we found with the help of AA's 12 steps, we could lose those fears, no matter what our material prospects were. We would cheerfully perform humble labor without worrying about tomorrow. If our circumstances happened to be good, we no longer dreaded a change for the worse, for we had learned that these troubles could be turned into great values. It did not matter too much what our material condition was, but it did matter what our spiritual condition was. Money gradually became our servant and not our master. It became a means of exchanging love and service with those about us. When, with God's help, we calmly accepted our lot, then we found we could live at peace with ourselves and show others who still suffered the same fears that they could get over them to. We found that freedom from fear was more important than freedom from want. We found that freedom from fear, yes, was more important than freedom from want. That's good. Let's here take note of our improved outlook upon the problems of personal importance, power, ambition, and leadership. These were reefs upon which many of us came to shipwreck during our drinking careers. Okay, so I want to stop there just for a minute to discuss a couple of things. Um, I only have my experience, so I am not able to, to talk about how I've ever been stricken with poverty and how terrifying that was. I have gone through periods in my life where I worked three or four jobs just to pay rent um, and I had to sell my car and I would buy food from the dollar store and blah, blah, woe betide me. Um, but I have also had experiences in life where I was afforded the ability to not worry about money at all. And what I can tell you is that the when I feared financial ruin most was when I had the most. And so I, it also took me some time into recovery to live in the day and not worry about future financial concerns. Now, that being said, I do not have children I've ever had to provide for. I've never had to be a single mother. Um, I've only ever had to worry about feeding myself being a single person or relying on a husband when I was married to provide for me. But I can tell you that fear is uh, not discriminatory. Fear plagues all of us in all different aspects of our lives. And one of the gifts for me of being in this time of COVID is it's really made me focus on the day. Like, am I okay today? And I'm, am I okay now? Yes. Okay. So if calamity comes tomorrow, then I'll deal with it tomorrow. And in the moments where I have not been okay, I remember this too shall pass and everything shifts. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, and so the step 12 in this part of financial matters is really talking about freedom from fear. And when we're free of fear, a lot of our other um, issues that go along with that go away. So if I'm free from the fear of financial ruin or economic insecurity, I'm free. And if I'm free from being insecure or um, being insecure in a relationship or with myself, then in that moment, I have freedom. And so this is really talking about looking beneath what the fear is. Like, is it really a fear of money or is, or is it a fear of pain? Is it really a fear of someone leaving you or is it really a fear of not being good enough? And I think these COVID times have really helped us sink into that. And if you are struggling financially, I am so sorry. 
Um, I don't know how to help you financially, but I do know that as a person with massive anxiety who was once paranoid and prey to catastrophic thinking, the solution to my fears and a life that had so much more serenity and peace was really giving it over to my higher power and surrendering it and just trusting that I'll be taken care of. There was a quote I read in a book today that I'm loving. And it said, God is limited in his relation to us only by the limitations of our vision of him. So because my vision of God is a, is a fatherly God and a God that wants the best for me, it doesn't mean he'll protect me from horrible harms that can come my way. He hasn't protected me from some of them before. And some people don't ever want to hope because they feel that if they are disappointed, whatever relationship they have with their higher power will be crushed into ruins. But I say take a chance on hope. Take a chance on hope and act as if. Act as if the bills are going to be paid this month. Do what you have to do. We're responsible for the work. God's responsible for the outcome. But act at, be responsible with what you have. Pray and seek out ways, whether here in Canada we can apply for, um, I think it's up to $2,000 in this time for people who have been affected by this COVID crisis. But the, the gift of hope is that it turns out exactly the way you wanted it to and everything's fine. On the flip side, if you hoped it would turn out it one way and it doesn't, at least you're coping with what the fallout of that is at the time and not before. And you can save yourself a lot of heartache and hours of worry and misery by just choosing to believe that this is going to work out for the best no matter what it looks like. Back to the reading. Practically every boy in the United States dreams of becoming our president. Is that true? I don't know. He wants to be in his country's num he wants to be his country's number one man as he gets older and sees the impossibility of this as a well I was just going to say as a woman would but you never know he can smile good-naturedly at his childhood dream in later life he finds that real happiness is not to be found in just trying to be a number one man or even a first raider in the heartbreaking struggle for money romance or self-importance he learns that he can be content as long as he plays well whatever cards life deals him. He's still ambitious, but not absurdly so, because he can now see and accept reality. He's willing to stay right size. But not so with alcoholics. When AA was quite young, a number of eminent psychologists and doctors made an exhaustive study of a good side group sized group of so-called problem drinkers. The doctors weren't trying to find how different we were from one another. They sought to find whatever personality traits, if any, this group of alcoholics had in common. They finally came up with a conclusion that shocked the AA members of that time. These distinguished men had the nerve to say that most of the alcoholics under investigation were still childish, emotionally sensitive, and grandiose. How we alcoholics did resent that verdict. We would not believe that our adult dreams are often truly childish. And considering the rough deal life had given us, we felt it perfectly natural that we were sensitive. As to our grandiose behavior, we insisted that we had been possessed of nothing but a high and legitimate ambition to win the battle of life. In the years since, however, most of us have come to agree with these doctors. That's called humility. 
We have had a much keener look at ourselves and those about us. We have seen that we were prodded by unreasonable fears or anxieties into making a life business of winning fame, money, and what we thought was leadership. So false pride became the reverse side of that ruinous coin marked fear. We simply had to be number one people to cover up our deep lying inferiorities. Often you'll hear in the rooms that we are egomaniacs with low self-esteem. That's what that's talking about. In fitful successes, we boasted of greater feats to be done. In defeat, we were bitter. If we didn't have much of any worldly success, we became depressed and cowed. Then people said we were of the inferior type. But now we see ourselves as chips off the same old block. At heart, we had all been abnormally fearful. Uh, My sponsor says that alcoholics are maladjusted to life. It mattered little whether we had sat on the shore of life, drinking ourselves into forgetfulness, or had plunged in recklessly and willfully beyond our depth. Ooh, we're going to finish it today. An ability. (laughs) The result was the same. All of us had nearly perished in a sea of alcohol. That's so poetic. But today, in well-matured AAs, these distorted drives have been restored to something like their true purpose and direction. We no longer strive to dominate or rule those about us in order to gain self-importance. We no longer seek fame and honor in order to be praised. By the way, this is best-case scenario. Um... I just felt like I had to say that. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything else. We no longer seek fame and honor in order to be praised. When by devoted service to family, friends, business, or community, we attract widespread affection and are sometimes singled out for posts of greater responsibility and trust. We try to be humbly grateful and exert ourselves the more in a spirit of love and service. True leadership, we find, depends upon able example and not upon vain displays of power or glory. I love that. That is true leadership. True leadership is not done by being a, um, what do you call it? Not a taskmaster. Like a, a, I can't think of the words. It's like an aggressive bully or someone that is uh, demanding and overbearing. Still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and profoundly happy. Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, nor do we wish to be. Service gladly rendered, obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted or solved with God's help, the knowledge that at home or in the world, outside, we are partners in a common effort, the well-understood fact that in God's sight, all human beings are important, the proof that love freely given surely brings a full return, the certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons, the surety that we need no longer be square pegs in round holes, but can fit and belong in God's scheme of things. These are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living, for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions could possibly be substitutes. Ooh, that's some spiritual goodness. True ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. 
These little studies of AA's 12 steps now come to a close. We have been considering so many problems that it may appear that AA consists mainly of racking dilemmas and troubleshooting. To a certain extent, that is true. We have been talking about problems because we are problem people who have found a way up and out and who wish to share our knowledge of that way with all who can use it. For it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we can begin to get it right with ourselves and with the world about us and with him who presides over us all. Understanding is the key to right principles and attitudes, and right action is the key to good living. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12th step. With each passing day of our lives, may every one of us sense more deeply the inner meaning of AA's simple prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can in the wisdom to know the difference. That's the end of our series. Thank you for hanging in there with me if you did. I hope that if you haven't done the steps, that encourages you to do so. That if you have done the steps and you've sort of fallen out of touch with them or fallen out of love with them, you go back over them. I've been reading from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, the sister book to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, available wherever you buy books or at meetings. I hope you've had a great day and I'll talk to you soon.